Hey, coaches, players, and parents, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my show today, but I wanted to let you know about the video course I have available to purchase on CoachTube. This course titled Plan, Prepare, and Execute Your Skill Development Program is nine videos with nearly 60 minutes of content. It also includes a free copy of my book, The Skill Development Playbook, and a PDF version of my notes used to teach this course. You get all this content for $12.95. That's right, $12.95. Plus, as a bonus for purchasing this course and downloading my book, The Skill Development Playbook, you also get access to my free five-day course with over three hours of video content that complements my book. Go to CoachTube.com and type my name, TJ Jones, in the search box, and my course will come up. So you get my plan, prepare, and execute your skill development course, which includes my notes I use to teach the course, a free copy of my book, The Skill Development Playbook, and access to my free five-day course with over three hours of content that complements my book. So go to CoachTube today and get better. Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ. And today we've got a very special guest. We've got Sean Alley. Did I say that correct? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. There's all kinds of different pronunciations. It's all yeah, good. <laughs> I know my wife is real big about pronouncing her name correctly, so I make sure I, I pronounce <laughs> everyone's name right. Um, he is the owner of Hoop Consultants, and so we're going to come on today and talk a little skill development. Coach, I appreciate you being here. Um, before we dive right in, I want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and give you a, give you a background on uh, that you have in basketball. Sure. So, so I, I think I was always destined to be a coach. Um, I was a decent player in high school, you know, as a starter on a good team type of thing. A few of my good friends and teammates were Division I players. Um, we had a really good team. Had, we were in a tough conference in, in Virginia. Um, but I sort of knew that coaching one way or the other was definitely better suited for me. So um, I had a few like walk on, not really offer type offers from division three schools, like down in Southern Virginia, where they said, you know, come down and try out. And if you make it, you can have a spot. It didn't really seem promising enough for me. Um, and again, with that coaching, the, the natural itch to coach that I had, um, I jumped straight into coaching right after before I had even graduated. I started doing our school's spring league, and then I did our summer league, then I did our fall league, and went off to went off to school down in. Um, I started going to school at VCU in Richmond, so I wasn't I wasn't home. But that that first year I was in college, my high school coach reached back out and said, asked if I wanted to coach um, the freshman team the next year. So I immediately started trying to figure out how I could transfer back home so I could coach. And then it didn't really, it, the timing didn't work out. So I could transfer that first year. So I had to do a second year down at VCU. Um, then I transferred back up to George Mason here in Fairfax. And this was right after the final four. So um, I was happy to, happy to go back home. But I grew up in the neighborhood of George Mason. So I didn't want to go there because it was too close and just, you know. <laughs> so ended up back there to, so that I could coach. And good friend of mine um, who I grew up with, who was also one of my high school teammates, he became the freshman head coach that previous year. So I became his assistant and then I became a varsity assistant. So I was, gosh, still 19 years old when I started um, and just really rolled ever since. I think I coached seven or eight years of high school varsity. I sort of 
waned away from from freshman eventually um, the head coach switched schools I went with him to that new school um, and then was just exclusively varsity and 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 was his was his top assistant there so um, then when I got married and and had kids I was working in in DC at the time so coming from Northern Virginia there's tons of traffic and logistically the coaching was getting kind of tough so um, I did it about as long as I could. It ended up being, I guess, about eight seasons in total mm-hmm. um, of going back and forth and running all over the D.C. area. Um, and then I just sort of had to start scaling it back. You know, I first said, OK, I'll just come to I'll just come to practices. I don't even want to go to games. But then, of course, I ended up going to all the games. So then I ended up doing the whole season. I was like, all right, next year, I have to just stop. So I stopped coaching and I started training just kids in the neighborhood, you know, young players that I um, coached in high school, things like that. Just, you know, my own personal network. Um, that was really my first entree into, into training because growing up, I, my parents weren't athletic people. They both came from really poor backgrounds. Sports wasn't on their, on their periphery at all. So we kind of just were told to just go somewhere and play. So all I would do is play games and, and ended up being, having a good feel for the game, but I didn't have any skills. You know, it wasn't until the end of my high school year that I really realized, man, I really got to be able to handle the ball. You know, I'd, I'd find these niche things of being a defender and knockdown shooter and things like that, but I didn't have any real skills. So when I started training, it really was, um, I felt a lot more comfortable working with um, the kids that weren't that experienced so because they were just starting or were trying, you know, going into high school, trying to make their freshman team type of thing. So I did that off and on for a while. And then, you know, as I think as I was getting ready to have my second kid, I just really didn't have much time. Um, so I started, I pretty much did nothing for like six months or a year. And I had this really bad coaching itch. So I was trying to figure out how I could coach, but, you know, do it really on my own time. Um, my full-time work is in criminal justice reform. Um, so I work for the um, advisor for the Department of Justice, helping state and local governments figure out their justice problems and try and fix them. So I really liked that. And as I got further into that, I started realizing, well, that doesn't leave much time for coaching. So I started thinking, okay, like some of my players that were high school players are playing in college. They, um, they would send me their college games and I would watch them and I would give them feedback of like, come on, man, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, when somebody's closing out too hard, you gotta, you gotta attack, you gotta, you know, make things easier for yourself. So I'd start texting them feedback and I started writing up feedback and I was like you know why don't I try to do something like that more broadly rather than just for my own players so eventually landed on hoops consultant where um from coming from my consulting background in my professional life um I figured I could I could work that into you know watching film um and helping a player watching all of their games helping them come up with a player development plan whether they were working with you know a trainer or not uh, could sort of give them a roadmap on where I thought they needed to improve on based on their game film because to me that that's what mattered that's where you were trying to improve the most so that's that's grown a little bit in these last few years but that's that's pretty much how I got to where I am well that's a that's a that's a good story <laughs> uh, you know when I was a kid when I would go to the gym with my dad or if I would go and play pickup ball I never looked at it as skill development yeah um I didn't really even start using that term until I started actually working with with kids. Right. So, uh, but like you said, I, I used to just go out and play. I had friends, <laughs> I had to go down the street, um, had a couple of friends on the other end of the street and kind of around the block. And we would just all meet up at the same place and just, and just play. And I was yeah. the youngest and the smallest. <laughs> so I was the one that they were always beat up on. Uh, so, <laughs> 
you know, I had to be able to handle the ball and be mm -hmm. able to shoot and do those different things. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you on, I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, so let's dive right into this. Let's, let's get into uh, talking about some skill development. Sure. Um, the first thing I want to ask you, this is what I, what I ask everyone is, what is your definition of skill development and how important is it to the game of basketball? So to me, like I mentioned before, I, I look at it as this really, it's a part of a larger picture. Um, you know, you should be doing everything. Um, you should, everything you, you do should be working towards um, being a better basketball player, be, helping you make winning plays, helping you, um, you know, hone your skills so that you can win possessions, whether that's on offense or on defense. So to me, everything's under that umbrella. To do that, obviously, you need to understand what is the right play, what's not the right play, what is something that gives you an advantage, what's something that gives you, puts you at a disadvantage. And then there are a million physical tools that can help you or harm you in those processes, such as your handle, your, you know, your body position, your footwork, all of that stuff. So, so to me, skill development is this, you know, critical, I guess, pillar of this larger structure of becoming a better basketball player and not having that as a player myself, I think I definitely underappreciated it because to me, I was like, oh, you know, I mean, I mean, I understand the game. I'll, you know, I can, I'll knock down an open shot. I'll get into the paint and figure it out and I'll kick the pass out. But in, in a pinch or in an offensive system or somebody sets me a screen, I didn't have all of the know-how and all of the tools. So, I mean, and, and, and I could see firsthand where, where my ceiling was as a player because I didn't have that. I mean, it was literally at the tail end of high school, pretty much after my high school career was over, that I started realizing, oh man, these real tangible skills of handling and shooting and me proper mechanics and all that stuff that I didn't have, you can be as natural of a player, you can be as smart of a player, as have as high of an IQ as I thought I had, but there's a real ceiling um it because because you're just physically limited you're not going to know how to get around people at, at you know once the game gets to a certain level so to me it's crucial it's 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 not everything because there's much more that than than skills because if you over if you over train you sort of be, can become just a robot of those moves and you're not necessarily doing those within the context of a game or in the context of a team or the flow or whatever but it is a pillar and without that pillar you know there's only so far you can go yeah, I, I try to get a lot of players to to understand that it's the little small intricate details that that can really separate you. Yeah. Um, you know, you can be a great athlete yeah. and play off your athletic ability, but at some point, those small details and your skills are going to have to come play a part to help separate you um, from the pack. So exactly. it's, it's really important to pay attention to those, to those things. But at the same time, like you said, if you become a robot and you just spend so much time trying to do certain moves or, or, or learn something, you know, that's why I always tell players there are no absolutes in basketball, yeah. right? Exactly. I can give you a suggestion. I can say, hey, if there's a baseline drive, if the weak side corner is open, yes, you should drift to the corner if you're on the wing. But if you stay, and they make that pass to you, you still can make a play. Right. But um, sometimes players try to just memorize, I got to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. And they don't understand, understand when they should do it, like you say, in the context of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I totally so agree. When you, when, you did your, when you do your skill or did your skill development, what was your philosophy like? How did you 
how did you go about your your training? Um, I consider myself more of a old school <laughs> type coach. You know, give me a ball, give me a hoop, and we can get yeah. something done. Yeah. There are some that's a little more innovative. <clears throat> excuse me. They're a little more innovative. They have more. They have more. Um, uh, you know, equipment and and sure. doing different things. So, where do you see yourself with your philosophy when it comes to skill development? It was definitely more along the lines of what you said, of, of more of an old school approach, because that's just how I grew up playing. There was no no real formal instruction. Um, and then the way I would approach it, depending on the player, and you know, obviously it was it was tailored to each individual, but um, it was definitely this long process that had different phases. And those phases are in the, the very most basic fundamentals. And like I mentioned, I, I liked working with the kids who, um, one kid I worked with, he had no interest. He just kind of liked basketball. He wasn't going to play. He was, he was, I think, in seventh or eighth grade. No interest at all. Was just looking to do something athletic, and he liked basketball highlights. So he was like, cool, yeah, let me play. That was one of the most fun times I had working with, because it was a complete blank slate. And um, just as an example of that, we, what we would do was we started, I mean, dead in front of the rim, just bending down and shooting. And we did that for, I think, the whole first session. And we did it for most of the second session until he really started, you know, getting the motions of it down. And then until he got that, we didn't really do it. We would mix in some dribbling and, and other really, you know, early fundamentals like that. But um, that I would always approach it like that. You have to have that first layer of the most basic fundamentals. If you don't have that, that's what we're going to spend working on. We'll build from there. If you do have that, then let's start to add on um that's sort of the next layer of things and again that depends on the player there's another kid i worked with um going into going into high school was hoping to make a freshman team pretty good high school always has a good freshman team he was a soccer player he had naturally really good footwork he had really he just knew how to kind of move around the basketball court mm -hmm. so this that sort of that he was ready for more of that second layer um not necessarily the most refined or highly technical skills or dribbling moves or anything like that but he was ready sort of for that, for that middle layer of, um, you know, learning how to attack and when to attack and um, making full speed layups and traffic and things like that. And because of his, because of his foundation in soccer, some of that stuff was really easy for him to pick up. So I knew I didn't tell him or his parents, but I knew I was like, if he can, if he just keeps working at it a little bit, he'll definitely make this freshman team because there's just this natural ability because of his soccer background. Right. But on the contrary, somebody who doesn't have that, that second layer is, okay, you have the basic movements of dribbling, shooting, and passing, and whatever. The second layer is, how do you then use that? How does that apply to a game? And then once you can, under, once you can do the baseline, and then you, can, then you understand how to apply that to a game, and you start to do it, then you can start to refine and get to the more advanced of skills. Um, so I would always look at it, look at it that way. And I, I same way, I would, there was a court in my neighborhood, and we would just use that, or the gym I was a, a member at, you know, if the, the person I was working with happened to be a member there, we would just go there and we didn't really have any equipment. Sometimes, a lot of times for those, for those kids who were really just starting, what I would tell them is you don't even, you definitely only need a ball and a hoop, but sometimes you don't even need the ball and the hoop. If you're working on, you know, your form or whatever, just do it in your room, do it while you're watching TV. Yep. And, and it's the same reps because all they're learning is the motion. Most so so I, I really tried to make it as simple as possible. That's always how I approached it. And then on, on the other side of that spectrum, um, you know, some of my high school players who went off and played college and some go to play overseas and things like that, um, I really wouldn't. So, so I guess I should back up. Most of them had had trainers. 
and they were always doing through high school and through college doing their advanced skill work. So then the role I would play would be watching their film and making sure they were working on those right things. Because to me, some of their trainers weren't necessarily watching their games. They were just working on what's in front of them, which yeah. is fine because that's what we, you know, we all do. Oh, you know, I, I see you working out and I see this is a strength and this is a weakness. But I'm like, okay, but if, if again, if it's not under the umbrella of a game, then you're, you're limiting the impact that that training is going to have. And, you know, your time is finite as a player. Each offseason, each, each week, each day, you need to be moving forward in something. And if you're not moving forward to becoming a better player, you're kind of going off this way or off that way. It's not really the best thing for your development. So, so what I started to do, and that's how I ended up with Hoops Consultant, was really um, trying, to, uh, trying to focus what that development actually looks like. Yeah, so basically what you were saying, one thing that you were saying was, was progression. You know, yeah. you know um, assessing where a kid is at, understanding where they are, and understanding where they need to go. Yeah. Then, you know, uh, progressing them through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of trainers out there now. And a lot of trainers that I've seen are just running kids through drills. They give them a really good workout. I mean, they're, yeah. they're sweating um, and they're getting better. There is a level of improvement. But some of the things that they're doing does not relate totally over or transfer over to competition. And I think that is what makes a big difference between someone that just works kids out and, and actually is developing those players. There's a place for both of them. Yeah. I, I do believe that there's a place for both of them. I have a young lady that comes to me um, and we work on her skills. We break stuff down. I show her stuff. And then she has someone else that's close because she travels to me. She has about an hour travel to me. Oh, wow. But she has someone that's a little bit closer that she goes to that they'll do, like, some strength and conditioning stuff. They'll do a couple of shooting drills, and then they'll do, like, some three-on-three or some five-on-five. And I told her mom, I said, she needs that, too. I said, she can't get that here with me because we're in a one-on-one setting. So you have to know what what you're getting from your trainer. So I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. And then some of the, that just reminded me if I can real quick add that, um, you know, some of the, some of the parents, they'll sometimes what they're looking for is, are those tangible results and they'll see, Oh, I do notice that he's dribbling better. Oh, I do notice that his shots are going in more. So he's getting better. And then game time comes, they don't get on the court. They get on the court. They don't get much time. They're not hitting shots. And then they come back to you and like, I thought he was getting better. Like, see, these are two different things. Yeah, there's the skills for the individual, and then it's how that individual is then plugged into the team in the game. And there has to that has to be it. There has to be some sort of a connection there. Otherwise, it's going to be a disconnect. Yeah, I call it a false sense of improvement. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect way to put it. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and here, within like the past three or four years, I've started telling kids that. Like, I just I just flat out tell them. I say, look. <laughs> You're doing a great job. I said, you're making shots. I said, but I say nobody guarding you. I said, you're making five, six, seven, eight shots in a row. You miss one or two, make another five. I said, no one is guarding. I said, when I throw you the ball, you know what you're going to do, right? They're like, yeah, shoot it. I said, so that's easy. I said, but when you get in the game and you have nine other players on the court, five of them on defense, and the ball is thrown to you and you got this kid running at you real fast, now you got to make a decision. Yeah. I said, so it's not necessarily can you shoot the ball, it's can you make the decision of am I going to shoot it, am I going to drive, or am I going to 
you know, pass. Yeah. I said, but that's where kids mess up. So I said, I'm glad that you're improving. I said, but I want you to understand that, you know, there's another part to this that you have to be able to improve in. Same thing with ball handling. So if a player is struggling with their handling the ball against pressure, we can do all the stationary one ball drills, cone drills, two ball drills. Those will improve your technique, maybe even your speed. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not necessarily going to improve against pressure. Yeah. So that's a whole nother animal that you have to understand. So I just tell kids that now. I ain't afraid to tell them that. <laughs> like, look, what we just did is not going to necessarily help you against pressure, but it will help you in, in these areas. So, <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about skill development in different parts of the year. So I, I'm a big believer in, you know, there's, of course, you know, you got in-season, off-season, you got your preseason. Um, when you're working, when you worked with your players, um, did you try to cater what you did with them based on what part of the year that they were in? So, like, if you had a kid that was playing on a high school team, they're in the season, yep. and they come to you and, and, and working with you, what was it that you would do? Uh, during the season with them? So for that, I, I would all, during the season, I'd always try to, um, you know, just mainly be mindful of their time and be mindful of the energy that they're already exerting in practices and games and stuff. So I would use that as, as more so um, becoming aware of things, mentally understanding and seeing things, um, and then making subtle tweaks or subtle refinements. Um, one example is uh, I had a guy who, who wasn't that great of a shooter coming into a season. Um, so, you know, his, his percentages and the reputation of that was that you didn't necessarily have to, it wasn't that much of a, that big of a threat, um, you know, to knock down a shot. But in that offseason, he had improved a lot. So we knew he was sort of going to catch people off guard. But, you know, a few games in, people started to adjust and he started to not have as much space to get that shot off. So in season, it's not like we were adding something new, but we just had to, we would use film to show, okay, see, this is where you used to have space and you didn't even have to think about it. And you got that in, in going back to the foundational stuff, you got that foundation of knocking down an open jump shot. But then to your point, when you're not going to have as open of a jump shot, or you're going to have to move a little bit or do something subtle to try and create space or to attack if somebody's, you know, over committing or, or, you know, running at you too fast or whatever, here's what that next level looks like. So um, I would do in season would try to just keep it to subtle, more subtle tweaks like that, rather than um, adding something new. Um, but I would always sort of, and this is why when, when I'm doing the hoops consultant stuff, when I'm, when I'm reviewing somebody's games to make a development plan for them, um, I see how they progress over the year and, I, and I'll take notes. And, and back to that same example, when we're working with, um, when I'm seeing something, I'm like, okay, so now that, now that he's able to knock down that shot and he's drawing more attention, that can now be a weapon for us. What's that next thing? What's that, what's that more advanced step that's going to take more time that we're going to have to do this coming off season? That's the next phase of his development. And that involves, you know, reading a defense, being able to have the proper footwork and handle to be able to attack those with, you know, efficient footwork and things like that. Um, so I would always, it was always sort of connected, um, but definitely in season, it was more, uh, it was smaller things. It was more adjustments, but those things would also could also translate to something that you know a new dimension that could be added in the off season when we had more time and they had more um you know more availability rather than having to deal with games and practices 
Yeah, so uh, I was actually talking about this with a with another coach, and uh, I call it skill stacking. Mm-hmm. Where basically, if you're a really good shooter, and the defense is trying to take that away, what skill can you add that that complements your spot up shooting? Yeah. You know, so instead of taking a player and saying, "Okay, hey, you're great at you know spot up shooting," let me put the ball in your hand and work on you know uh, you know a hundred different one on one moves. Um, it would be, hey, let's learn how to attack this closeout because yeah. you got the reputation of being a great spot-up shooter. You got a really good reputation of coming off screens and better knock down shots. So they're going to close out on you hard. They're going to switch everything. So how can we attack this to make you even more effective? Yeah. So I, th- I think it's really good that, that players understand and coaches understand is listening to this. Yeah. You have to add complementary skills to your players. That is right. that huge. Those skills have to complement um, each other. Now, what I really want to get into now is let's talk about hoop consultants. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm really intrigued by this because um, some of what well, because what you're doing is is like an area I'm trying to really get into. Also, sure. um, you know, I, I just I, I love doing film with players. So even doing my training sessions. What yeah. I do is I love, you know, record them on my phone. I have a little app, and then I cast it to my to the TV. So we have a TV in the gym, and I use Chromecast and, you, you know, slow it down, that. zoom in, zoom out, do all that stuff. Yeah. So um, let's kind of talk about that and how you, uh, you know, just kind of how you put it, put things together for those players. So a player contacts you, they're one they're one you to hire you as their consultant. Yeah. Um, so then you look at film with that player. Yeah. So it can work a few different ways. It, yeah, it really depends on their availability and what they, how much time they have and what they want to get out of it. And to your point about, about film in general, um, how they best learn. So I learned by watching myself on film or watching other people, you know, NBA players or whomever, when I, I could see somebody do it, then I could think they're, oh, okay, okay. So this side, oh, they move their foot like this. Oh, okay. So these, you know, if you're a visual learner and a lot of people are, um, being able to watch yourself and watch yourself critically with somebody who can advise you on that, um, I thought would be, would, would be really helpful. So um, I've done it in a number of different ways with, with some of my, before I actually, you know, made it like a business and was doing it in a more formal way, I would do it with my players some of my players who were playing in college or whatever, we would get on something like Zoom or, or I was using WebEx at the time um, where we would get on a thing where we were there virtually together and I would pull up, you know, the, the link to their, to their game film and, and I would share my screen and we would watch it together and I could pause things and say, and it would just be like as if it's an individual film session. Um, but that, that requires a lot of the player's time. So what I, what I then, I, I still am open to do that because I think that there's great benefit in that of walking through film with somebody but in order to save time, what the, the consulting part of it, I guess, is um, any games that they have, whether it's five, 10, or the whole season or whatever, as many as they want me to do, send me all of them. I'll watch them all on my own time. Um, and a lot of them are in huddle and they have little tools where you can make clips and things like that. So I can make clips um, and tag them of different ways of like um, and, uh, something I want them to see or something I want them to, to um, be able to visualize. And then I send, if it's a, if we're doing a development plan, if it's just feedback, then I just get feedback, but mostly it's, it's, um, you know, a full on development plan. So I'll break it down into an overall an offense and a defense, and I'll have a number of points in there. I try not to overwhelm them. I try and do 
you know, three to five things um, on offense, three to five things on defense that they can really uh, start working on and start checking off with more. Uh, and I'll keep to myself a whole, you know, backlog of things. If they can get through those, okay, now you can move on to this type of thing. So what I'll do, I'll send them a written document explaining everything as, as details I, as I can um, and reference, um, you know, a playlist that I made at Huddle, a playlist I had to make myself that I'll then send to them later and say, um, you know, for example, uh, using the, the shooting example, you know, you weren't, you weren't ready to shoot fast enough and, you know, I've made these clips for you. Go see what I'm talking about here. You need to already ha be ready to go because you're taking too much time and, you know, you're dipping down and it's taking too long. And I want you to be able to see that so you learn to be ready before so you can get that shot off faster. Um, so there can be really specific things like that in terms of looking, looking back, looking retroactively of here's, here are some areas of improvement I want you to look at. And then it also includes, here's what you need to do to improve that. And then I'll send links to drills on YouTube or um, just explain something, you know, over text if it's easier, um, you know, I'll type it right onto the development plan or something like that. But it's, it ends up being a document full of tables and charts and links and things like that where they can actually look at it. And if they're working on their game by themselves or they're working with a the trainer, they can say, okay, here, based on, based on my games last season, because this is the team I'm going back to this next year, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I need to improve on. And, and they can just sort of go from there. And, and it's still all of the language and verbiage. I, you, you use terms and vocabulary, I think, more effectively than anybody I've ever seen um, in terms of skill stacking and things like that. So I try to make sure I'm using consistent verbiage from them from the whole time I work with them so that they know um, what it is that I'm trying to convey to them. And um, I'll work with coaches too, their, their team's coaches. I'll talk to them and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be watching their games. Give me more context. Give me your context as their team coach of wh what you thought they did wrong last year, what you're looking to get out of the next year. There's one guy I'm working with, um, he's a freshman in college, a uh, decent player, but the team was kind of full of seniors. And they had, they had basically, they would get most of their production out of their, their elder statesmen. And he was, a, he was a good piece for them, solid rotation player, um, you know, would score in, in bunches, had some decent games, had, you know, steady minutes, steady and consistent. But with everybody leaving, he's going to be more of a featured role. So I had to talk to their coaching staff to say, okay, so what's your system going to be and how, what's the best, what, how do you plan on utilizing him or how do you think you can utilize him and let me help you get him ready for that? Right. Um, so, you know, it's a pick and roll heavy system. So I really focused in his development plan, I really focused on it was basically starting from scratch because that previous year in the, in the game film, there was very little I could show him because he was kind of just a knockdown shooter. So it was basically starting from scratch of, all right, here are the reads in a pick and roll. Here are the position, here are all the little things. And I would literally just send, you know, YouTube links of, you know, these compilations that already exist of Chris Paul's like mastery in a pick and roll. Yeah. And I would just say, Hey, just watch this and watch these specific things. And, and, you know, at the such and such minute mark, he does one, this one specific thing that's what I want you to learn. And then, you know, I, I would reference things like that and um, talk about the reads in a pick and roll, talk about the different windows of passing, talk about the different ways you need to attack, how you need to finish it all, you know, be able to score at all three levels and things like that. So it really depends on what the ask is, but it, because the nature of it, it ends up being kind of cool because the nature of every, every player and the nature of where their game is and the nature of the request of what they're trying to get you to help them with is totally different. 
So each one is just completely unique in it. And it has to be like that because you're tailoring it to that person. There's not much, you know, cookie cutter you can pull from one player to another other than specific drills and whatnot. Um, but to be able to take this, um, look at a player from a comprehensive stance of looking at all their games and then developing something tailored specifically to them has been, it's been really fun for me. And, and that's really why I started to do it is just to satisfy the coaching itch, but it ends up really helping it, to me, it was just this missing piece. You know, yeah. there was there were plenty of trainers, but not a lot were even thinking about it. How you are of like, how to how does this plug into a game? How do you plug into your specific team, your coaching staff, your specific teammates? Yeah. Um, and it was just this big missing gap where I felt like a lot of players' development was falling through those cracks because of that missing piece. So that's what I was trying to provide, and and honestly, was just doing it because it was fun for me and gave me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's talk specifically about about film. Um, sure. I just I just truly believe that, that film does not lie. Yeah. Um, I've shown players themselves, and they would think that they do something a certain way, <laughs> picture in their mind a certain way, and then they actually see it. They were like, "Oh, I didn't know that." <laughs> I see what you're saying now by uh, me not getting low, or or yeah. you know, I'm not doing this with my footwork. Mm -hmm. So. When you're looking at film, uh, what are some things that you think that are important for players to understand? Because I know when I was a player and we watched film, I wanted to see myself cross somebody, <laughs> you know, do all those different types of things. Yeah. So when, when, you're, when you're looking at film, what are some things that you feel like is important for a player to be able to understand and look for to help them with their development? Now, I say that knowing that if a team is sitting down looking at film, it's based on the team, right? And there's going to be some individual stuff, but it's basically based on the team. But from an individual standpoint, uh, what are some things you'd like to look for? So I, I try to take actually what, what – so the point of the team thing is, right, is on this possession, what went right, what went wrong, what we should have done better type of thing. I, I try to take that and apply it to that specific player. So, and it goes back to, to the verbiage and how, you know, how I approach it. And it's basically winning basketball, which means winning possessions. So if we're looking at the film, if we're looking at an offensive possession, we want to win that possession. We want to score. If we're on defense. We want to stop them from scoring and we want them and we want to, you know, regain possession of the ball. So we have those two things, those two goals for, for an offensive and a defensive possession. So when we're watching film specifically for you, what are you doing in this clip that's contributing to winning that possession? Are there things you should have done? Are there things that you don't know that you need to learn? So we'll watch it of, um, you know, if they, if whatever, whatever happens, if they were supposed to be setting the screen on that play and they just didn't set that great of a screen or it was kind of like a half-assed screen and the defender was able to trail and the shot was contested and their, you know, their, their Clay Thompson on their team normally would have knocked that shot down if he had a little bit more space, but because you didn't set that screen, he didn't have as much space as he was used to. You need to set that screen better. So it's really taking the, the same thing you are watching from, from a team perspective, but applying it only to that player. We're watching how you're contributing to winning on every single possession, but we're watching you and I'm watching every single movement. I'm watching how you stand, I'm watching where your head is looking. I'm watching if you're aware of what's going on, if you're communicating on defense, if you're cutting with a purpose on offense, I mean, and if you're watching it, like, like how I mentioned, I watch sometimes I'll watch it live in a, in, a, in a virtual setting with a player. 
I got to be careful because we can sit there for three hours because there's something you could pick apart on every single possession. Yeah. So that's why I like doing it on my own time because I can be as crazy as I want and write it all down and say, okay, now let's whittle this 10 pages down to like two pages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it all goes back to contributing to winning possessions. And there, there are plenty of possessions where they don't necessarily, because of just how things shook out, they may not have had anything to do with the possession and that's fine. You know, if you were in, if you were on the help side on defense and you were in the right spot and you were moving and you never lost sight of your man and all this stuff was going on over there and they shot and they missed it. Cool. We move on. We don't, we're not even going to talk about that, but there's going to be plenty of possessions where you didn't do it perfectly. And I'm going to try and teach you what the perfect way is. And you're going to aim to try and do it perfectly with the understanding that you're never going to do it perfectly. And that's fine, but that's the target that you're going to shoot for. Um, and don't be disappointed when you don't when you don't reach it because you're just doing everything you can to close that gap to be as perfect as possible as an individual, to, to, so that you can contribute to winning possessions, which will eventually lead to winning games. Yeah, I I try to get players to watch film of themselves, but also just watch the game. Yeah, in exactly. <laughs> exactly. Watch the game, and and I'm gonna tell you, I learned so much from watching like NBA game. I, I would prefer watching the NBA over college. Me too. <laughs> and um, because when I'm watching the NBA game, the game is played, you know, you're talking about a 24 second shot clock. They come down, they get in their sets so quick. Yeah. Their spacing is wonderful. And it's like, they're playing fast, but they're never in a rush. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like in college, it's just everything is just, it's just really, really fast. And the spacing is not as great. But uh, but anyway, I I, I learn a lot from the from the commentators, like yeah. the way these ex coaches and NBA players really break down the game. So when they show a replay mm -hmm. and they're talking about this play, they're, they're actually giving out little gold nut golden nuggets. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just able to pick these things up, and and that's something that I think players need to really understand. It's one thing to watch a game for the dunks and the yeah. the passes and the, and the oohs and the ahs, but it's another thing to really watch it and understand what you're seeing and being able to apply it to your game. So watching film, even if, even if you're at a college or a high school that, that don't do, you know, where you can't really get access to your film, um, you have to understand how to watch the game of basketball. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've been really working on is trying not to just watch the ball because there's so much stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, but those were those were some good tips, and um, how you you know use film for for the individual when it comes to uh, development. Yeah. So I got a couple other questions for you, and then uh, you know we'll 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 wrap this thing up. So I mentioned earlier about the players that do well in one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, you know, they're making shots, but it's not necessarily translating over. So let's talk a little bit about decision-making. I think decision-making or small-sided games, as like the hot term now, um, is really, really important for a player's development. Um, so how did, how did you implement, when you did your training, decision-making, and how, when you consult with players, how do you give them information that can help them with their, with their decision-making? 
So the first part of it in, in working on court with players, um, it was much harder to do. It's, it's much easier to do with film when you're looking, when you're coming from a game context. But if you're just working with somebody one-on-one, you really got to use your imagination. And, and I mean, and if, and if you as a trainer or the coach, if you can articulate it well and they have the ability to comprehend that, then they'll be totally fine. Um, one specific example, I don't know, it's coincidental that it's, it always has to do with pick and roll. We were going over pick and roll reads one time. It's just me and one guy. He was a point guard. He was in a pick and roll system type of thing. But it was just me and him this day. So we were really looking at all of those different passing windows. So I was like, how am I going to show him all these pick and roll passing windows when it's just me and him? So what I, we just sat down and we talked it through of like, all right, so sometimes depending on where the defender is, depending on where your man rolls, depending on where the defense is behind him, there are going to be these little drop passes. So I'm going to give you like, I can't remember how many options there were, seven or eight options of the different types of passes. We're going to do them one by one. And then I'm going to, then you're going to do it randomly and I'm going to start yelling, you know, whatever option four or whatever. And on the fly, you're going to have to imitate the defense acting accordingly. You have to go around that guy and then you're hitting a much later wraparound type of bounce pass. Um, so if, if you have three or four people and, and you have somebody helping you out and there's, five or six people total on the court, you can, you can really start to, you know, mimic a help defense or, 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 you know, really start to mimic game scenarios. But if you're by yourself, you just got to use your imagination unless you want to use, if you can use chairs and cones and, and trash cans and things like that, but still you're going to have to use your imagination because those things don't move. They're, they're not real defenders. So I, I would just try and do it that way when I was working with players on the court. And then it, 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 through Hoops Consultant, when I'm, when I'm doing it, it's a lot easier because I, I, I'm, coming from a, I'm coming from a film standpoint. And I'm able to show them visually, see what I mean here, this help defender came. And when that happens, here are your options from that. And, you know, most of the time that defender wasn't coming and those, these were your options when he didn't come. Mm-hmm. So it, it was easy because, and, and, and also I would, you know, how I mentioned I would embed clips in their development plan where they could go look at these playlists could also do like screenshots of something and then like circle it so when I was uh I would also do like scouting opponent scouting for coaches I would go watch opponents film and then help a coach come up with a game plan so I would use a lot of those screenshots for that I'm like all right here are these here are these sets that they like to run there was this one guy um there's one team it was a like a regional rival they had lost to them twice and they were getting ready to play them again and he said man they beat us twice can you watch those two games and 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 help me think through what we can do differently. So they had this one guard um, who I think ended up playing college somewhere. He's a good player. He would catch it on the wing. His man would come set a, he would catch it on the, you know, whatever side he was on, his man would come set a screen on the inside. So he was attacking towards the elbow. And if you sat too far back, he would hit a three. If he got to the elbow, he would pull up and he was money pulling up from those two spots. And he would have about 10, 12, 14 points a game in those two games where they lost to them. They would come right from that action, right from those exact spots. So I was telling the coach and I had him show his players and I put a little screenshot in there of, all right, this is, here's what, and this is from a defensive perspective. Here's what he's thinking. He's reading you guys. He's reading your defenders of how you're guarding this screen and roll. And he's acting accordingly. And if he gets to his spot there, he's going to score. If he gets to his spot at the elbow in the mid range, he's going to score. If he gets into the, into the paint, then you got all sorts of problems. You don't want that. So here's what you need to do as a defender to take, to take his decision-making away. And, you know, trap him off the screen, trap him off the handoff or, or whatever to do something differently so that he's not coming off that thing clean. Because in those past two games, he came off it clean and he was killing you. 
and and they did it and they won they ended up beating they ended up beating that team and those those specific defenders their their four their five man whoever it was that was guarding most of those screens he then looked at it from an offensive perspective of the the offensive players decision making and then he knew how to use his length and athleticism and size and things like that to sort of negate that um and then obviously it goes both ways you can if if you're looking at it from an offensive perspective you can you can pick them apart and if they're they are trapping you there's plenty of things you could do to beat that so it's just this cotton this constant game of cat and mouse um which makes it fun because it's never ending i mean it's it's finite right the only the amount of things that can happen on the court are finite we've pretty much seen almost everything that can happen on the court we've seen it at some in the nba in college in high school whatever but in the more of those outcomes that you understand the better off you are because you know what could potentially happen and how to defend work manipulate things to your advantage based on that well coach man uh i appreciate it um you know gave some great information on on progression and what you do for players in season and how to use film um tell us about you know your, your, your consulting is there any other tips or advice that you would like to, to like to leave any any coaches or players yeah yeah and first of all i appreciate you having me i've i've really ever since you know you and i connected i've gone back and listened to as many episodes as i can i really i really really love what you're doing and i and the, so the first piece of advice is that coaches and players should share your podcast um, with people. They should share it with players and coaches and parents um, because people need, if you really care about basketball, you need to understand how this thing really works. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it just, it, the, the field sort of became oversaturated with trainers and that's fine because that was a need that was missing, but now we don't want it to swing too far in that way. We got to sort of balance it between training and developing. Um, so then the last piece of it is for, for coaches and players to just be willing to, to listen. You know, there's a, a um, friend of mine is who, can, who tagged me in something of yours on Twitter. And if I wanted to be stubborn and think I had all the answers, I would say, I, I don't need to go, I don't need to look into his stuff. I don't need to listen to his stuff. I, I got all the answers. But yeah. if you're open-minded, you're going to, there's, there's, as you mentioned earlier, there's so much in basketball that you can learn, whether that's you're as a player or coach watching film, picking up things about the game or just thinking about things um, in terms of your development and training and teaching and learning. There's so much that you can learn and there's so many good people out there like yourself. So just go seek that and be open-minded and, and listen um, and think critically and, and figure out what's best for you as a player or a coach. And, and, you know, the possibilities are really endless if, if, if you approach it in my, if you approach it that way, in my opinion. Well, coach, man, I, I appreciate Appreciate those uh, those kind words, man. Uh, I enjoy doing the podcast, uh, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine. It's a lot of work. I do it by myself, so I got to schedule it, you know, record it, edit it, and do all that stuff, and then put it out. But I, I do enjoy it. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's fun to, 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 you know, be able to get on here and talk with someone about like you about skill development and and I learn things every time I, I talk with someone because yep, um, my wheels are always turning so I'm, I'm constantly evaluating what I'm doing I think that's something that's good for coaches to do to exactly. always evaluate never just be satisfied with where you are even if you finish the season undefeated and you end with a championship, there's probably, you can always go back and find different ways that you can improve in some area one way or the other. Um, 
So uh, why don't you let everybody know how they can contact you on social media and how they can get in contact with you if they're interested in uh, doing some consulting. Sure, no, I appreciate that. So my website is hoopsconsultant.com. There's a few that are similar. There's a hoop consultants. I didn't know that when I picked my domain name. So this is a hoopsconsultant.com. Um, my email address is sean at hoopsconsultant.com, S-H-A-U-N. Um, hoops consultant on Instagram is probably the best way I put play breakdowns and things like that on Instagram. Um, so yeah, I, I would love, I love connecting with coaches. It's really um, a passion project and I, and I do it to help players of course, and to help coaches of course, but it's really for, for my own enjoyment. And so, you know, <clears throat> it's worked out nicely so that I've been able to uh, be genuine in everything that I've been able to do because it's, it's just for pure, pure love of the game. Well, that's it for today's show. I appreciate everyone that tuned in. I hope you found it valuable and informative. If you like today's show, please share on social media and tag me. I can be found on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at NBNBball. Also, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and please give me a five-star rating. Also, be sure to check out my book, The Skill Development Playbook. This book will help you understand how to get organized and know what real skill development is. It can be found on my website by visiting tjonesfirm.com forward slash SDP hyphen book. Paperback is $9.99. The PDF version is $3.95. And also going to be found on Amazon. Just search skill development playbook and it should pop up. It's $9.99 for the paperback or $3.99 for the Kindle version. Now, if you need to contact me for anything skill development related, I can be reached by email at info at tjonesfirm.com. That's info at tjonesfirm.com. Again, I appreciate you for tuning in. Until next time, thank you. God bless.